everybody. Good afternoon or evening or morning or whatever it is for you guys. Yes. Yes. This is No Joke Like Moments. I am your co-host, Remy. And I am your other co-host, B. Welcome. So, Remy, what's on the docket today? Today, we are going to be talking about Season 14, Episode 6, Optimism. Supernatural, by the way, in case you didn't know. If you've gotten this far and don't realize that uh, this is a Supernatural Watchcast podcast. <laughs> and today, we're already on episode six. I can't believe it. Mm-hmm. This is another stellar episode written by Steve Yaki and directed by Richard Spate Jr. Good old Gabriel. Gabriel's back. <laughs> I I'm uh I'm only now realizing that he actually like directs episodes with with regularity. Yeah. Yeah. And I I shouldn't be surprised that Yaki wrote this one. I mean, it it's knocked out of the park. It's such a good episode. It is. Uh, what even is the season? I haven't had one we haven't had one stinker so far. Yeah, it just feels like they get stronger and stronger. And so knowing that next season is the last season, it makes me a little wistful. But I'm also like, they're definitely going to go out on a strong note. I uh, I shouldn't have said that. I don't. I'm gonna I'm gonna jinx us. Ah, uh, the description for this episode reads: Sam and Charlie team up to get to the bottom of a string of random disappearances. Meanwhile, Jack believes that he has found a case and convinces Dean to partner up with him on the hunt. So good. We get Charlie back in this episode. Felicia Day. I always love to see Felicia. Yes. So we start off right away in McCook, Nebraska, where we see this woman who is heading off to work at a library. And she flips the come in sign on the library and gets to work shelving books. We... I, we never talk about the recaps for these episodes, but I did want to say for anyone who who is paying any attention to the recap for this episode, um, we had a really intense recap. I'm so glad you brought this up because, <laughs> yeah, watching that recap, I was like, holy shit, like, what is this song? What is this editing? It they was, were really hitting, like, hard beats the whole way through. It was a freaking, like, 24 Jack... Who's the fucking dude in 24? I only know his name, oh Kiefer Sutherland. Oh, my God. Kiefer Sutherland. Uh, levels of intensity in this recap. And then I was just like, what's going on? And then we open increasing heartbeat yeah yeah exactly i was like i was like i'm scared mom and uh we open on this uh, toy story piano opening of of like (laughs) an idyllic town with this uh, young beautiful uh, friendly woman going through the town it's all so sunny and bright Uh uh-huh i was like what what's happening yeah, you're you're tricking me already, guys. <laughs> and as we'll see as this episode unfolds, it there's this real balance between um your storybook expectations versus what reality deals you. Mm-hmm. So this librarian, her name is Harper, and she is at work. And did you want to comment on her outfit here for a second? Because Go those ahead. ruffles and that lace tie that she had going on. <laughs> oh, you like? You like it? It was an interesting look. I wouldn't put it with modern day, but I think that that really speaks to the character, that she's not living in the present day. She's going for these more retro looks. 
It was it was it was fashionably retro. Yes, and I believe that there was Meta out there talking about the whole trench coat that she had going on too. Anytime that we <laughs> see a trench coat or we see a tan colored <laughs> coat, there's going to be thoughts. Uh huh. I don't remember that Meta, but we'll see if it comes up. Oh man, yes. Yeah. So she's shelving books, and then this. Um, boy her age comes out his name is Winston and he is asking her about dinner and because he startled her this additional boy named Miles shows up saying that he's going to protect her and he's got his stapler out wielding a red stapler yeah he's a I heard I heard a scream Harper everything okay yeah so we see right away that Harper has a at least a couple of love interests or at least ex- people who are interested in getting to know her more. Uh-huh. And um, she is very adamant when she's talking to Winston. It's not a date. We'll just have dinner. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, but Winston, uh, I don't think gets the memo because he, well, he feels he's has his foot in the door. Definitely. Because he exits the library once he gets that confirmation from Harper. So, Eh, tonight, eh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. and Harper's trying to bring him down a little bit, but but Winston leaves the library, and we have this Spider-Man three Tobey Maguire sequence <laughs> of him just high on life dancing. Uh huh. He's dancing down the street. He's like, heck yeah, dreams come true. And just when he's on that high note there, with a spring in his step, he's grabbed and then promptly murdered off screen. <laughs> Because this is supernatural, cold open. What what else could we possibly expect? Yeah, and it's it's already so much fun. Like I hate to say that after saying, "Oh, and the guy died," uh-huh. but there is just this infectious energy that's going on already. It makes me really keen to see what's coming next. Yeah, yeah, we're we're definitely starting off giddy. It's it's good. Yes. And so after this scene, we now cut to Jack, who is drinking sugar with some coffee. (laughs) And Dean has come into the kitchen, sort of commenting on that. But um, yeah, so what did you think of the scene starting here? Yeah, uh, Dean pokes fun at Jack about putting how much sugar he's been putting in his coffee. And I'm, I I am ride or die for the um, angels like sugar. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Angels have a sweet tooth. Angels have a sweet tooth, yeah. Um, Headcanon? I I guess, yeah. (laughs) The angels have a sweet tooth headcanon. So uh, I I like to see that. I had a little giggle at it just as a viewer of the show who has seen this before. And, you know, there's something that just, I don't know if it was intentional, but like I said, I always, it's fun. And um, Jack is bored, right? Actually, we don't even, we're not even told that Jack is bored yet, right? We're not not quite yet. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So Dean has come in asking after where Sam is, and it is Jack who fills him in. You know, you Dean has been off um, doing an overnight run to Mary and Bobby's, he says. Yeah. And so Sam has gone off to meet Charlie on this case. And yeah. Jack, he, he says, he suspects that they're doing something very exciting right now. Uh-huh. And we get this beautiful cut to Sam and Charlie sitting in the truck outside Memphis, Tennessee, and they are just looking absolutely bored out of their minds. <laughs> stakeout. They're doing a, they're doing a stakeout of this bus stop, and that cut, like you said, was so uh, comedic, and uh, because they're just, like you said, bored out of their minds, sitting in complete silence in this beaten up truck, and. 
and they're doing something exciting, all right. Oh, yeah. And we get a fun little bundle of cuts that are happening here, flipping between Jack and Sam and Charlie, and the things that we're hearing versus <laughs> the actual um, expectations versus reality, I suppose you would put it. Yeah, yeah. Because... There they are, they're bored, looking at this Pete the Pestinator bus bench, and then we go back to Jack, and essentially Jack spills the beans that he's just here because Sam wanted somebody to be here when Dean got home. Yeah. Because Sam's worried. They're worried. And we we get... Once again, like this will be the third episode in a row that someone is speaking to Dean and saying, no one blames you for what happened with Michael. I yeah. Um, one question: Did we mention Cass? I'm just curious. I didn't hear anything about where Cass was for this. Yeah. One. Okay. Just I because we did that little rundown of like where everyone was at the very beginning. I just didn't know if we had mentioned Cass. But yeah, uh, Jack and Jack is here and he is not off as he has been before with Cass uh, hunting. He is, uh, he like you said, he spilled the beans. He's doing, pretty much doing Sam a favor and staying home because Sam wanted, didn't want Dean to be alone at the bunker. Yeah. And when Dean is told once again that it's like no one blames you, Dean just goes, cool. Well, I blame yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Again, I mean, we've talked about it. We've talked it to death in the past two episodes that um, Dean is, I don't know, he's almost like trying something new with his complex where he shoulders all responsibility for everything ever because he's Dean and that's what he does. But um, he's been telling Sam the past two episodes and now he's telling Jack the same thing that he's been telling Sam, which is, I'm not okay and I do blame me, and I'm trying to move on from that, but for now, it's it's almost like, just, I don't need to be told that no one blames me, because I blame me, and that's enough. Yeah. He is showing this degree of patience with being constantly told that no one blames him, because despite how many times he hears it, Dean isn't able to move past that. And so he is really just accepting these outside opinions without internalizing them. Yeah. Yeah. And it's in this first... It's in this scene with Jack that he starts coughing and he plays it off just saying, well, maybe I'm allergic to boredom. Uh And he's just adamant. He wants to hunt. Cass says that he's been doing good. So come on, let Jack out of the cage, basically. Yeah. And Dean was putting him down a little bit. He was like, yeah, it almost not, I don't know, not trusting Jack, of course, on his word, because It, it was more tempering his expectations. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, Cass had told uh, Jack, oh, you're doing a good job, but Cass has told Dean, yeah, he's doing a good job, but... Well, I I don't even think that Cass would have said, yeah, but about what Jack is doing. I'm sure that Cass was just, Jack is doing a great job, but it's Dean here who... Who's inserting the butt. (laughs) Yes, and he is doing his sort of wisdom judgment on this case, and he's saying Cass has been an insurance policy on those hunts, and like, no offense, but we want to keep you safe. Sam wants to keep you safe, and he's a smart guy, so why don't you listen to him? Uh, And we cut back to Sam and Charlie, and... (laughs) Sam. Sam is enamored with this fidget spinner. Uh-huh. Sam has a fidget spinner and he is having a good old time. 
Yeah, and Charlie's just like, I, I seriously left my world for this. It was funny. Uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, uh, Charlie kind of gives him the side eye and Sam immediately stops and he's like, oh. Yeah. <laughs> he's suitably chastised. Aww. But, okay, now we go again quickly back to Jack and he is just very adamant about proving himself to Dean here. And he lays out a tablet that is talking about Winston Mather's eulogy... Is it eulogy? Obituary. Winston Mather's obituary. You're right. And that there were human bite marks all over his body and there's other people missing in this area. And so that seems to be enough to get Dean to go, oh, yeah, maybe I'll check it out. Yeah. And and Jack says, no, I, I found the case. We're supposed to be keeping, we're supposed to be hunting in pairs. I'm coming with you. And not only that, but I need to do something. Like, uh-huh. here's basically all the pros about bringing me along. There's no cons. Don't think about the cons. Dean. Let's just go. <laughs> and Dean, who is has been only lending half an ear to Jack for the, through this whole thing, he's making his spaghetti taco and saying, I don't know. The spaghetti taco. <laughs> <laughs> he pulls leftovers from the fridge. and <laughs> This is my heart right here because I totally get that. I was, I was the kid that was like, okay. This will just work, and it's just <laughs> carb sandwiches. Like, bless spaghetti taco. Yeah, <laughs> and like poor, poor Jack. In this moment, he gets to break out and say, "This is really his first time of vocalizing what it is precisely that is frustrating him about doing nothing, troubling him." We, yeah, we've seen in the first episode, the second episode, that he wants to do something, but here is when he's finally saying that. He was strong enough to kill Michael, and he didn't. He was distracted and stupid, and now that option's off the table, and he just feels like he needs to do something to make amends for that. Yeah, I mean, so uh, at the very beginning, Jack was, of this conversation, Jack was saying to Dean, no one blames you, um, and now he's he's bringing him bringing it back on himself saying yeah here's my self-blame i i feel i feel your pain almost because i was the one who screwed up i was the one who was too stupid or distracted or weak to kill michael and lucifer when i had the chance and and you know dean is not having that which is yeah yeah dean assures him that you didn't do anything and jack just flips it right back around and says neither did you yeah but that doesn't make it any easier, does it? And I, I think this is what convinces Dean to. Yeah. And this is really the first time that we're seeing Jack and Dean actually have some proper bonding, isn't it? Because there was a very short period in season 13 where Dean and Jack were on sort of a sociable level with each other before Jack got taken over to the apocalypse world. And so for me, this was where we're really seeing Dean start to decide he's going to take this kid under his wing. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, It was a very short window in season 13 after Cass came back, you know, it was just in between Cass coming back to life and um, uh, Jack disappearing into the apocalypse world that 
Dean, I don't. Even, I wouldn't even say that they were bonding. I would just say that Dean was not openly antagonistic to the kid. I would agree. Yeah, it was more that Dean was tolerant of the kid and maybe could see. Okay, he's not bad. He's he could be good, mm-hmm. and sort of had Jack placed on that level of he would be an innocent. We would want to protect. Yeah. Or, just something along that kind of neutral area. But now he and Jack have this common ground of, hey, look, self-loathing. You're good at it, too? Awesome. <laughs> and he can totally relate to not wanting to be stuck in the bunker, just rehashing old mistakes. And he concedes, like, okay, we, Jack, we'll, we'll get you out of here. We'll get your mind off of what could have been. Jack says, come on, let's be hunting buddies. And Dean says... One, never call it that. Two, okay, fine. Oh, it's so... <laughs> Let's go. There's such a great comedic energy between the two of them. Like, Alex has some exceptional timing when it comes to his character. Because he gets <laughs> to play, like, the the straight man to Dean's more laughable moments. But at the same time, Alex gets his own laughs, as we see later. Yeah, this was, this was a great comedic episode. And I did like that we just finished wrapping up with Jack and Dean. And Dean's agreeing to go out hunting. And the next scene we go into is Sam on the phone call with Dean. And essentially signing off on Dean going and taking him out that this is Dean's idea of what they can do yeah Sam's Sam's not totally happy about it he says are you sure are you sure you know it's it's Nebraska it's really close by we can send out a couple hunters with you and then you know we don't actually hear any of Dean in this conversation but Sam accepts he said okay okay just be careful check in talk to you later there's some great growth that comes from just this small little snippet here because they could have very easily not done this touch base at all but here the brothers aren't going behind each other's backs and sam is the de facto leader of the hunters of the hunter hub and so dean is still deferring to his brother when it comes to this is the way we do things now so i'm i'm stepping in line i don't expect special treatment there's just something about season 14 where all of these team free will relationships, uh, Mary, Cass, Sam, and Dean, they're all so settled and just this, I don't know, understood understanding. <laughs> like trust. There's trust. A trust there. It's just, uh, we're, we, I think we are moving away from that, like, like you said, going behind each other's backs that, uh, the, the drama isn't about seeing the characters pitted against each other. The drama is about seeing the characters unite against these other forces and like finding assurance that they got each other's backs. And it's so good. Yeah. It's a little different, but it's good. I vastly enjoy it simply because if you stick to interpersonal drama, then it can get so easy to fall into the same repetitive pattern of person A betrays person B and person B is offended and then rinse, repeat it backwards the next season. And we're, we're getting into this new area of Sam and Dean do have support. They do have people that have got their backs and in turn they have each other's backs in a way that is just very firm and unquestioning. Yes, that's the those are the words that I was looking for. Firm and unquestioning and like I said settled and just uh, unshakable. 
Yes, it's so good. But in this scene, we can see Charlie doesn't feel quite as settled with her, and it doesn't help when um, Sam is making these constant comparisons back to oh Charlie. God. You know, I mean, our Charlie, as in, like, I'm still excluding you. Yeah. You're, you're their Charlie. Yeah. I mean, so uh, this, Sam, I love you, but I was cringing through every single one of your lines here because it's just like, stop it, Sam. Like, like, so Sam is a very empathetic and, um, you know, I don't know. This is kind of the role that he fills sometimes and that he's the sociable one. He's the heart to heart guy. Um, yeah, he's quite compassionate with everyone that he comes across. Yeah, and so he is being Sam here, but, you know, sometimes with Dean, uh, it, Dean says, you know, you're you're pushing it. And I think here is one of those, uh, those instances where Sam is tipping over into pushing it. Yeah, uh, Sam is still lagging behind the thought that Although she looks the same, this isn't my Charlie. It just hasn't clicked for him yet. Yeah, and yeah, so... He's doing all these unfortunate social faux pas, and you can see Charlie is being really patient about it, but her patience has a limit. Yeah. Is this the scene where uh, Charlie... Where Charlie asks about Dean and, you know, Dean's friends, or is that no, a different scene? Okay. That's coming up. Okay. Yeah. This is the scene Charlie has laid down just the foundation for her case, that she has done some scouting. There's been people missing. She found some goo around here, so she's pretty <laughs> sure this is where they need to be. And she busts out a book to basically... I, I like it as a gesture of, okay, quiet time. We're done socializing. I need to look at this now. Yeah, yeah. Like, she Sam, can kind of use it as a tap out. Yeah, Sam, I think that in this scene, Sam is trying to connect with her a little bit, but he might be treating her a bit too familiarly, uh, I think, anyways. Um, yeah. And Charlie is, you know, she pulls out her book and she's like, let's just, let's just have quiet time for a minute. <laughs> yeah. And then the next scene... This, this fucking setting. Dick's Red <laughs> Rooster Diner. Dick's Red Rooster Diner. Where have you ever heard such a <laughs> restaurant name? They found one. I don't think they, I don't think they pulled that one out of uh, uh, the props warehouse. They, they, <laughs> I think that was I, on location there. <laughs> I would be shocked. I'm I'm gonna look it this up fine. after. We I it it is fun, but I'm like my god the they had mugs and everything. Uh, Dick's Red Rooster. <laughs> I'm I'm losing it over like symbolism for this, but I'm not gonna get into it in this moment. Cox, 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 Cox. Screams. Okay, you yeah, got it. Fine. You got it. Yes. Dick's Red Rooster Diner. The victim loved having... It was his favorite breakfast spot, which is oddly <laughs> specific for an obituary. The, the writing in this episode, I swear to God, it's just it's just the lines that they deliver so perfectly. Yeah, Jack says, that's oddly specific for a, a obituary. And Dean says, yeah, they never know what to put in those things for young guys who die. I'm like, oh, yeah. but it was funny, but oh. <laughs> 
Oh, yeah, it's so good. And Dean pushes up to the front counter there, and he's speaking to a server named Wanda, and um, she's being a little sassy to him, uh-huh. and he tries pushing for more help, and his flashing the FBI badge is getting him nowhere, because Wanda knows her rights. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Jack is studiously taking notes, but when Wanda doesn't want to share, Dean pulls out his billfold, and he's like, okay, if the badge isn't doing it for you then how about a bribe and <laughs> freaking freaking jack he's just like he he's like what he he looks around he like that's an option <laughs> oh and finally wanda starts talking yeah she gives out harper sales name and she mentions that uh, Winston was courting her. Uh-huh. And, and poor Jack. Oh, courting. And it, basically, Jack's brain goes courting to dating to sex. And Wanda just leans in and is like, sometimes you can just have the sex. Like, And again, Jack's like, oh, that's an option. And Dean's flustered. And in this moment, he nudges aside this glass rooster figure. And I'm like, I, I just sit. I take my glasses <laughs> off. I put my hands on my face. And I'm like, this is the setting. The... <laughs> yeah. I'm okay. You're my okay. hands are still on my face. You're okay. Interview montage. <laughs> yes, interview montage. Some rapid cuts of like basically the part from Mean Girls. Like, so I heard from a friend of a friend. Uh-huh. <laughs> they're going through the rundown of who Harper Sales is. And she was the prom queen in high school. Her boyfriend ran off after college and she loses men around her. And she's obsessed with books and she just has bad luck. And it's a real shame. She seems like such a nice girl. Yep. Yep. Nice girl, many misfortunes. And now Jack and Dean are wondering if there's something specific about her that is causing things outside of her to get hurt. Yeah. But we don't dwell too long after this montage. We go back to Charlie and Sam. And here is where Charlie can see that Sam is still worried about Dean having gone off on this case with Jack. And Charlie assures him that, you know, Dean will be fine. He's got other friends, doesn't he? And we've had extensive thoughts on this, but I feel like we can talk about it again. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. So, again, I was just kind of like, Sam, stop it. You're not doing it right. Oh, so, like I said, so cringy. And again, it it wasn't done bad. Like, the dialogue was good. The writing was good. It was like Sam being Sam, but I was like, no, it's like watching a crash in slow motion. Like, yeah. Sam, <laughs> so, read the room. So Sam says, um, yeah, you know, he, he used to have a really great wingman. And Charlie says, hey, call that guy up. And Sam says, well, that guy was you. I'm like, no. Yeah. Again, that crash in slow motion. No. <laughs> yeah. And Charlie immediately has to start firming up boundaries. Like, no, yeah. that it wasn't me. And Which I really did love. I love. Yeah. I, I, I really liked Felicia Day a lot this episode. She killed it. Uh, yeah. She was doing exceptional work. Yeah. And she sets Sam straight as be- uh, as best she can. She's like, you know, it wasn't it wasn't me. And he 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 rolls it back. He says, uh, well, yeah, not you. Sorry. So he he's at least he at least understands on a superficial level that this Charlie is not 
their Charlie, but I think he only understands it to the point where, okay, this is Charlie. This is our Charlie. She just doesn't know us yet. Yes. And Charlie, she can sense that this is what is basically happening. There's that dissonance going on in Sam's brain. And so she takes a moment to basically lay it out. Yeah. She was a programmer. She lived with the love of her life, Kara, who was a baker from outside of Chicago. And it was just like something out of a storybook. But it didn't last. Michael and Lucifer wiped out the technology and during their fight. And the first couple days were okay. But when the food ran out, mobs and looting started happening. Death. Uh, Yeah. No one ever came to save them. There was no rescue. There was no big government rescue. It was just... Social breakdown. Right. That's how she describes it. She said... Uh, humanity humanity responds the same way every time they go crazy and it all breaks down yeah people lose it when things go wrong and she just has learned this to be a societal fact and sam tries to assure her because she she does look teared up here when she's reliving this memory yeah and sam goes nope not here and charlie goes not yet yeah yeah, she, uh, Sam is, uh, not to skim over Kara, uh, Sam is surprised that Charlie had a, a, a wife or a life partner in her universe because, you know, his Charlie did not. And again, it's just like, he's not really getting it yet, but. Yeah, he just assumed that the story was the same, just he and Dean weren't in it. Yeah, this is, this is Charlie setting him straight and she tells her story and Kara, uh, you know, she, Charlie said, we start this conversation with Sam saying, uh, you know, I'm just saying I'm not surprised from what I know of you, Charlie, based on my Charlie, I'm not surprised that you survived the apocalypse. And she said, well, I sure damn am. Yeah. Uh, I, I was just a programmer and, you know, how is it fair that I made it when so many others didn't, including Kara? Yeah. Uh, poor girl <laughs> yeah yeah lots of lots of charlie feels poor poor yeah poor felicia yeah and uh, and that quick question that she had like doesn't he have other friends and it goes back we talked about like dean just really struggling to have that social group there and i feel bad because sam almost feel seems to give the impression that well, yeah, Dean has an expanded social group now because you're here. And Charlie's like, we don't have that kind of relationship at all. Yeah. it's And, you know, it's really hard. It's really hard for the viewer, I think. I know I had a tough time with this episode and these scenes the first time I watched it because it's, you know, it's Charlie. But it's not Charlie. I, I know. <laughs> I, I know. only know this Altverse Charlie, so I'm like... Building up to the point where I actually watch the Charlie of this world and it's going to be like such a, it's going to knock me off my feet. It is going to knock you off your feet. I I could, oh my God. Now I have my face in my hands because (laughs) you're the monster who wrecked me a couple fix where Charlie, um, 
we have some broken friendships or uh, with Dean and Charlie. Yeah. And I just want, I just, oh God. It hurts <laughs> to consider just that Dean lost that part of his life. And even though the writers are trying to appease us by bringing Felicia Day back in season 13, there is still this bitterness because you, yeah, you brought Felicia Day back. You didn't bring Charlie back. I do like that they're doing that, though. I like that we're not. I'm glad that they acknowledged it. Yeah, exactly. They're not allowing the narrative to just play off the differences in a way that we somewhat see with Bobby. Like Bobby has stepped into a familiar role. Granted, he's not the one that is doling out the instructions or finding the information. He's more on the outskirts, but he still seems like Bobby. Whereas Charlie here, we're getting a moment to see. Yeah, same face, different reactions. And I I really did like that because, you know, that's one of my beefs with the Apocalypse World characters that we quote unquote brought back because... We don't, I don't want the writers just uh, playing off of our nostalgia and sentimentality for these characters. I appreciate the respect that we, like you said, the acknowledgement that these are different characters. They're not our characters. Yeah, that there might be some, I wouldn't even say that there's any damage mitigated. Like there is a bit of good faith gesture here being like, yeah, okay, we fucked up and killed Charlie. We're going to bring a Charlie back, but they're not trying to do the cup game and trick us into thinking that it's the same because as viewers, we know there's no fucking way that it's the same and you're yeah. not going to fool us otherwise. And if you try to, then it's just going to cheap. be even worse. Yes. It, it's cheap. Yeah. It, yes. Or it would be, you know, because they don't have these characters, these new characters who do not have our history. And uh, like you said, it's nice to have acknowledged that. End tangent. <laughs> yes. We got it explicitly put out there. Mm-hmm. So from there, we go back. Dean is now sitting across from Jack at Dick's Red Rooster Diner and they have pie showing up and he's just like, nope, yep, congrats, you found a case. Sorry, I could like see your face as you said, Dick's Red Rooster. I... Are you going to give us this this uh, meta that you're so teasing I, at? Or? It's not even teasing. I'm just waiting because we're going to be talking about Harper's relationship with romance novels and all these types of things. And it, it's going to fall into that. Okay. Okay. I, I can't wait. No. <laughs> Don't build this up to anything besides dicks, 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 dicks. So we have pie. Yes. And Jack is asking about courting since all he knows right. is from romantic comedies, essentially. And you said that Rowena and Gabe doesn't count. And, <laughs> and, and Dean's like, yeah, yeah, they no, don't count. They definitely don't count. <laughs> Jensen's delivery through this whole bit here is just so funny. Dean just going, yeah, I'll give you the talk when we get home. But for <laughs> now, we're looking for bad luck. Like uh-huh. Harper Sales, bad luck McGee over here. Where is she? What can we find out? What's going on? And freaking, uh, you could you could just see Jack wanting to reach into his pocket for that notebook again. He says the talk. Yeah, like <laughs> just what that's a. I can hear the capital letters on that. What does that mean? Uh huh. <laughs> and Dean says no, no, Harper, let's go. Yeah. And so Jack is speculating. Well, maybe she's not human. And Dean was like, "Well, there's basically only one way to find out." And have you ever read a romance novel? <laughs> Becomes the question. And 
Because we were told that Harper, by the by the, the townspeople that we interviewed before, we were told that Harper lives in her books, essentially. Yes. Yes. So Dean heard that and is now going to play off of it. Yes. And so at the library, Dean comes in and he's being very official, pretending to be FBI and asking Harper about Winston. And she is trying to say, well, I've already spoken to the police, but nope, I need you to talk to me right now. And Jack steps in to defend her, essentially saying, well, you can't arrest her, so back off. And you can't make her talk. Yeah, so we have, when when Dean says, have you ever read a romance novel? We cut to this where we have bad cop Dean and white knight Jack. So we're putting on a performance here. Yes, but Jack takes his role like a little too seriously for <laughs> Dean's taste because when Dean goes back off, kid, Jack goes, "No, you back off, old man," and you, Dean just is physically wounded. <laughs> He's just shot right in the gut with that one. Yeah, just you, you took it too far. Too talk far. Talk about talk about Jensen's his physical acting, <laughs> his his face journey here in this moment his talk about his comedic chops you know i mean i yeah swear. you see that verbal punch landing it's so it's funny. hilarious old man dean he yeah. did not appreciate that yeah dean goes off to lick his wounds essentially and <laughs> harper is just so impressed and she calls Jack chivalrous and she just starts swooning for him right off the bat uh-huh and he is his cover story is that Jack is looking for information about the area. And, oh, Harper knows just the book. Follow her. She'll go and get it from her apartment. Uh-huh. Wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. Yeah. Uh, except, you know, it, she very earnestly isn't thinking about it to any depth. She's just straight up is like, yeah, you want to know about this area? Because we heard during the interview montage that she has never really left the town she is very sort of dedicated to the area where she's from uh-huh uh-huh and yeah so she says i i have the perfect book for you and we cut to dean sitting in his car licking his wounds looking vain i live for vain dean and vain Cass. i only say <laughs> i only pulled them two up as examples because Cass especially Cass is so vain and i love it so much we have these moments for him from him where he's just oof. i can't even i can't i'm, I'm like you're, you're gonna dance. have to put down footnotes here because i want to see this i don't know if i can think of anything off the top of my head uh, it's it's uh well more in seasons 11 through 13 through now basically, uh, <laughs> that I can call. And I know that you haven't seen half of that, so. But I love Vane Dean. <laughs> he just is looking in the rear view mirror, trying to find assurance that, no, I'm not old. And he's like, old man, my ass. Like, uh -huh. He just is doing his best to dispel the sudden fear that Jack sent as a chill through his body. Oh, oh poor boy. <laughs> And it Poor 40-year-old boy. Uh, my son, okay? <laughs> I know, my son who is older than me. Yes. Uh, we're outside of the library, and a, a wild Marty appears. A wild Miles. Miles! Yeah. Harper and Jack are leaving to go to her apartment, but Miles shows up in protest. Be like, you just met this guy, what are you doing? 
Yeah, and we're meant to read, you know, jealousy in this moment. And oh, yeah. but even here we have those like little comedic moments where Jack uh, Harper's like uh, Harper knows what's up, you know, she's like, "Miles, don't ruin this for me." Yeah. Back off. Get your own life. Yeah, yeah. She says, "Miles, it's fine. This is this is Jack. Uh, we're just going to go get a book." And Jack puts out his hand. He says, "Hello." And <laughs> Miles just looks at him and he shakes his head like, no, bye. Uh, Jack is such a sweetie. I adore him. I, uh, Dean climbs out of the Impala to tail them. Mm-hmm. But um, Miles, who has now like gone to go dump off some trash, uh, he hears a rattling noise and then he screams. We don't see exactly what happened, but Dean turns off of his tail to go check on that. And... Oh my god, he finds Miles dead. In a pool of blood. And like frothy blood, so you knew it was from the fucking uh, throat. Uh-huh. Oh my gosh, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> R.I.P. Miles. Yeah, gone gone too soon. And we're back to Sam and Charlie. Yeah, we end that dramatic beat. We have Sam and Charlie, and Charlie is reading all of the books. <laughs> and now is when she's saying, like, she hates hunting she doesn't want to be a hunter there's just a lot of tears and death when it comes to this lifestyle and she's had enough of that yeah and sam just keeps talking about our charlie he keeps doing yeah yeah he says he he says you know our charlie said something similar about hunting but she she came around basically like yeah again she came to her senses god oh my god sam i i love you but where's your chill here please god sam when charlie is saying that this is her final case after this she is leaving to be a hermit with wi-fi on a mountain (laughs) you can see that sam is quite it's almost like he's scared at the prospect of losing her again like that you, you can't leave people. He believes he that is. people need people. He gets into it later. But the thought that Charlie, this is the last time that he's going to see her and communicate with her. He's not ready to let go. And he clearly hasn't let go of the quote unquote, our Charlie feelings that he yeah. has. Well, I mean, I don't want to get too much into it because I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent. But let's look at charlie's death in in our universe because um we we don't we haven't actually had a lot of uh of the sam and charlie relationship through the seasons i mean sam's always there but the real kinship the real you know bff bond was definitely between charlie and dean and uh, so i kind of liked this episode a lot even though it's not our charlie i liked to see sam having some alone time with charlie um but let's look at how our in-universe charlie died um sam blames himself for her death 100 percent he is the one who brought her in on the case that the book of the damned that you know led to her death and when we do have charlie's hunter funeral um at the pyre uh dean himself puts charlie's death entirely on sam's shoulders he says i mean oh my god oh my god oh my god i'm like my my face is like heating up with my (laughs) um with your pent-up anger it's not even it's not even that it's just 
I'm, I'm thinking about Sam feels right here where mm. Sam tries to, you know, as uh, give Charlie this eulogy uh, as they're at her funeral and, and he tries to say, I'm sorry. And Dean stops him and he says, you should be sorry because this is all on you. And we just see Sam shrink in on himself and we never really address that. And Charlie's loss was just ripped you know, she was just ripped away from them and they cared so much for her. And, um, I mean, this is, maybe this is why Sam is holding so tight onto this alt Charlie. I can totally see how he's, he would absolutely be terrified to lose her again. Yeah. This is a weight that he hasn't been able to let go of. This has been a guilt that, has been weighing on him and now to see a charlie here in the flesh it's like a moment where he can make amends that he can try and assure himself that she's okay and that by proxy they're okay i mean i didn't even think about the sam feels i don't like it i'm sad now (laughs) you're like ow ow yeah, because, because I mean, honestly, really, through this whole episode, all I see is Sam being unnecessarily pushy, but you're bringing it to me that, you know, Sam is holding on too tight because he is afraid to let go. Yeah, Sam here is just, he's, his brain is, his heart is lagging behind his head. Oh. He is just so emotive about being you know he's on a case with charlie again and he has to keep reminding himself like this isn't the charlie she doesn't know me and the more and more that he's hearing from her that this is just a job to her she doesn't have it as a life and she wants to get out and sam is trying to say i i tried doing the same stuff charlie and it just doesn't work and she's like you are not me (laughs) Yeah. And just that constant repetition. Sam is just having such a hard go of it. Well, this is where Charlie really lays down the law. And she says, when when Sam says, you can try, I've tried. Hell, the other you tried and they couldn't do it. And we couldn't do it. You can't just let go that easily. Uh, this is when Charlie lays down the law and she says, uh, you're not me. I'm not her. This is not m- your life this is not her life this is not your choice this is my life and this is what i want which i i liked it you don't have as much say as you wish that you did yeah i mean honestly i loved it yes it's so you feel for sam but at the same time you're rooting for charlie absolutely that yes yeah okay and scene (laughs) We cut over to Harper's apartment, and the first thing I notice, A, it's very retro-themed, and B, it is love-obsessed. Oh, yeah? She has... Like, I saw the, the Amore wall Yeah, art. she had the Amore, she had the hearts around it, there was the mod wallpaper and the furniture. So, we're getting strong vibes of A, she's into the whole romance. She just is in she's love with the thought of being in love. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing is, is that we're getting further cues that she is more traditional or she's more old fashioned in her perspective of this. So those two things combined, she has old, old fashioned romance feels. Yeah. Yeah. And walls full of books. Yes. Lots and lots of books. Mm. And 
she it's only when they get to the apartment that she goes oh this was weird wasn't it like we just met (laughs) i just met you and this is crazy yeah yeah and she says i i'm sorry if this is weird i i I, i'm not trying to make a move on you and it just goes completely over you know like you said when uh, harper suggested it let's she didn't have a ulterior motive here she just knew the perfect book on the town's history that she wanted jack she wanted to show jack and but then as she got to her apartment she's like oh no this is weird and she tries to tell jack like i'm not trying to make a move on you and he's like what (laughs) yeah i don't know what you mean (laughs) yeah so he also i think they compliment each other really well i like I like them um, because I don't know. I I don't know. It's uh, while Harper is almost naive in her idyllic storybook blinders, uh, Jack is also kind of naive in his storybook blinders you know he he he's very black and white and he frames the world in very simple terms we even were told this earlier when they were talking about romance jack and dean were talking about romance that the only thing i know of romance says jack is what i've seen on tv yeah that what harper has learned from books jack has learned from movies and so they are both experiencing the world through the lens of other people's perspectives and just absorbing those as their own there's not really any first first-hand experience that they're working with especially for jack they're they're just both really cute in this yeah in this i scene. do really like the energy and i love how it evolves later on Harper's really flustered and she goes to tidy up a little bit or to find the book and uh, Jack, while Harper is out of the room, he starts setting up some tests. Yeah, he's going through a hunter checklist. He's putting a silver coin on the ground. He is getting a holy water handshake ready. <laughs> Dean tries calling him. He's like, no, I'm, I'm on the case. Like, I can't answer it right now. And yeah, Harper returns, gives him the book. She picks up the silver coin. Fine. She comments on Jack's wet hand (laughs) and Jack coughs out a crystal. And Harper says, are you okay? And he says, I'm just really nervous. Yeah. And she responds to that. It pleases her. We can see that it pleases her that, you know, Jack saying, I'm just really flustered and nervous in this moment. She kind of bolsters herself out of her own fluster from that because this Jack here is following the script of, you know, this, this, this dashing hero that has a secret vulnerable side. Yeah. Yeah. So she, so she's reassured by this and she (laughs) and now she has to take on the role her role uh which is to reassure the hero of the story i don't know yeah she starts getting to know him but there's a quick scene of charlie and sam talking about muska and it's just basically a gross thing that (laughs) they've never ever seen in real life half fly half man yeah Grossy. And Sam is, says, oh yeah, I've read all the books. And Charlie just does this quick nerd. Like, she <laughs> turns her lip up at him and everything. Uh, a little a little Charlie moment. And we get the creepy goth beekeeper. Yeah, yeah. The, the apiary outfit. This weirdo sits beside two women on the bus. Or not on the bus. On the, on the bus bench. And <laughs> we're, we're told that the muska 
there is a bad egg and the male fails to find a mate and just goes and makes a sad nest of bodies. I'm like, aw. Not aw. Ew. <laughs> I'm like, I don't have sympathy. I'm sorry. Fair. Sorry, not sorry. Fair. Yeah. Yeah. So, so well, I think uh, Sam says, yeah, I know of the muska. No one's ever seen one. Um, and if they do exist, then they're pretty benign. Yeah. They just, they have their community and they keep to themselves. Yeah, there's a reason why we don't see them. Except right. for the one loner who makes such a sad that he has to go and kill a bunch. like To find companionship. It's not even companionship. It's sad He's nest. building a nest. He's building a sad nest because he doesn't have his own mate a or his own family. A fortress of solitude made of corpses is not a fortress of solitude. That's the point. It's me. just a stinky room. It's a stinky room. Yes. Yeah. So. <laughs> I don't know. I I seem to have hard levels where I'm just like, I'm not going to read deeper. It ain't that deep. It's just gross. <laughs> But we're told at the end of the episode to read deeper. Yeah. We can read deeper later, but for now, I'm just saying grossy. Uh-huh. Grossy. Yeah. Back to Jack and Harper at Harper's apartment. Harper is bringing, bringing him in, soothing the spooked horse of her... <laughs> I don't know, enam- like her the object of her infatuation. Yeah, the romantic protagonist. <laughs> and they're getting a little bit of backstory out here too. Like Jack is saying, he's from an even smaller town than she's from. You know, he's from Lebanon. And she's like, I've always lived here. I'm the last of my family line that lives in McCook. And Jack actually is doing his cough again. He doesn't feel yeah. that great. And looks over and sees this photograph of her and we find out with her boyfriend, her former boyfriend, Vance. Yeah. Yeah. The, we did hear about this boyfriend earlier where from the townsfolk that she had, you know, a, a long term high school boyfriend who left after college. He left the town he wanted. And Harper tells us now, you know, he was he wanted to strike off from a cook and go experience the world and he wanted Harper to come with him but she said no everything that we need is here yeah she was happy with her world of books yeah and since then she's been perpetually single him leaving was the beginning of her bad luck according to her yep but they both, both Jack and Harper, like, we just try and stay positive. Like, they just want to oh. be optimists about their lives. And Jack says, like, trying to be positive can be so hard. And there's this little romantic moment that you can feel building. And it's broken by Dean texting and all caps, call me now. Well, I mean, so this this little note on optimism. Um, Harper is telling her story. And Jack is really connecting with her in a real way. And he's... Yes. And, and so yeah we do actually feel something real past this you know performance of you know jack the white knight of earlier uh happening here yeah and you can see she's actually forming connection too because there's been two guys that we've seen on screen this episode that have been trying to have romantic advances with her and she has just politely turned them both down but now all of a sudden oh my gosh you know jack you're so different <laughs> yes <laughs> and she's we get another great comedic beat here of Harper going, do you believe in love at first sight? And Jack going, do you mind if I use your bathroom? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. 
Uh, the poor kid, again, talking about reading social cues, he is struggling. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Because he got a call. No, no, no. He got a text from Dean that said, call me now. Yeah. And so, so he goes to the bathroom to yes. answer it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Jack calls him and assures, okay, Harper's not a demon. And Dean is just, where are you? Uh-huh. Dean has lost the tail since he went to go check on dead Miles. And so now, Jack, where are you? Come on, we got to meet up. And Jack is just not even really in the conversation. He's going, I'm 99% no. sure she's in love with me. And Dean's like, <laughs> not how it works, kid. Get back on the page. Uh-huh. Yeah. Jack is absolutely distracted. Dean's trying to reel him in. And he says, I, I-, I guarantee you that she is not in love with you. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, just snap in his face, focus. And yeah. uh calm down. <laughs> and he and Jack says, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, so I need in case she is, I need to know everything you know about sex. Go. Yes, I need to know everything about sex. Go. And the way that he says it is just again, Alex, kudos to you. You have some great chops that are just coming out here. We do, yeah. Everyone, everyone was really good. With their with their comedic timing. It was so yeah. good. And it's this conversation here that they start coming around. They're getting closer to the theory. They're going, maybe she's cursed or maybe the guys that are around her are cursed. And Jack is like, guys like me. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. There's, yeah. So we're thinking, okay, there's obviously something that is preying on the men specifically around Harper. And... <laughs> Uh, Jack has an uh-oh moment, but yeah. before we can explain on it, Dean is uh, attacked? Yeah, we get the point of view of the attacker, and we don't know what happens to Dean after that. So Jack hangs up. He goes out back to the main living room, and Harper is just double-checking. Like, she is certain that she's freaked Jack out. She says even that she can be intense. And do you just want to go out for coffee? <laughs> yeah, yeah. She says, oh, oh, God, I came off too strong. Let's... Yeah, I'm, I'm going to try backpedal here. Cool, 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 cool. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And before, oh, uh, so she says, do you want to go out for coffee? And Jack says, I don't know, because I just heard my partner get, like, ambushed and thrown into the dirt by something and the call cut off. And I just don't really know what to do right now, because I'm just... I'm just an infant. Yeah. And then and then boom, Dean breaks in, he barricades the door and he's like, I'm here to save you from that. Like he's <laughs> There's so many times in these later seasons where they just give up the goose. They stop pretending to be FBI or whatever. They're like, Okay, yeah, here's the real shit that's going on. Come on, come on, catch up. We press A, we don't have time. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So so this this random man bursts into Harper's house. Harper's freaked the fuck out and it's Jack is trying to reassure her no 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 no. Uh, i'm with him it's okay we're here to help and while dean is trying to barricade the door he's like yes we're here to save you and maybe some lives and we're protecting you from bam something is crashing into the door that dean is going through the chase like at first i thought it was a ghost and harper a ghost jack it's not a ghost (laughs) but then i thought then dean sees the photograph of vance is like this guy this guy right here how did he die and (laughs) harper i think he's in connecticut die what are you talking about and again there's this great like you can hear the punctuation at the end of this they go vance 
Vance, Vance. Like, yeah, I know. All three of them just saying Vance's name. Yeah, because the banging outside the door, um, the whatever this is outside the door says Harper. And, yeah, and Dean recognizes, okay, so it's a not a living thing, but it is a person. It must be a zombie. And so Dean is doing some quick training with Jack in that moment. He's like, okay, the only way we can keep these guys down is with silver. He goes and equips him and Jack with these little knives, like a like a letter opener. Yeah, well, he has a letter opener and he gave Jack a switchblade. Um but I loved the the little season 13 callback where uh, Dean kind of claps Jack on the shoulder. And he's like, okay, you finally get your zombie. <laughs> yes. He's like, look, kid, I know you weren't expecting me to fulfill this promise, but here you go. Zombie. Here's, here's how we heard it. Yeah. Vance breaks in and Dean says for Jack to get Harper out of there. And then, hey, Archie, let's dance. And starts fighting. I have never felt so validated. Uh, so when I was watching it the first time and this time, um, I, I the, the, bo- the door bursts open and a uh, uh, shower of splinters. And we have this... Uh, zombie jock he's got a red letterman on the red slick back hair he's very 50s um yes and i was like hey it's archie and (laughs) as as he bursts through the door and then when he actually starts to tango with dean in this fight because uh this this vance charges at dean uh dean says hey archie over here look at me let's go and and i was like yeah i pinned the pop culture reference before dean did (laughs) (laughs) we're pop culture bros pop culture bros pat on the back sorry i never get any of dean's references so (laughs) i felt validated on that one so yeah hey archie let's go and then knocks him into the bookcase and there's books all over the floor. Jack gets Harper out of there. Yeah. And while that fight is going on, we cut back to Charlie, who is reading. Sam is just, he can't bite his tongue. He's saying, oh you can't quit hunting. You can't live alone. People oh need people. And it's not easy to walk away from life. And like we touched on this already. I don't know if we need to go over it again. But she is just adamant that she is not his Charlie. It's her life. And Charlie wants to just go after this guy. Yeah. I pretty much mashed up the last scene with this scene in that this is where she says those things. She says, um, I'm not, you don't have a say in what I want. Yeah. I, my only note on the scene is Sam stop. <laughs> I, I have the, I liked the argument that Sam and Charlie have about, we can't just go tackle a guy because he's dressed like a weirdo. And she's like, can't we? <laughs> <laughs> Just because he's into weird fashion, we can't do this? Mm, no, I feel like I'm right. Yeah, yeah. So. And yeah, the bus drives by the bus stop. It intercepts their vision. And when it drives off, the weird costume and the guy who was sitting beside him are gone. But they can see that the victim is being dragged off. And yeah. so they go to pursue. Yeah. And returning back to Harper, um, Jack stops Jack stops running because she pulls on him and she's just asking, what is happening? And he's like, no, we got to keep moving. And Dean is fighting with Vance. He lifts up this chair and is just goading Vance on to come tackle him. But Vance just leaves. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Vance straightens and has this look of kind of a reset. And he 
as as much as Dean is trying to taunt Vance here, he Vance seems to remember. Oh, this is not who I'm after in this moment. Yeah, I don't actually care about you. Yeah, bye. He he yeah. dips out. And then Harper is back at the library. She's fumbling with her keys, and it's just. It's such a cliche little move there, like, Uh basically just juggling her keys in her hands, like, none of these darn fangled things will work. (laughs) And then (laughs) Jack just opens the door. He's like, you forgot. You you hadn't locked the library, right? You were going to come back. And and Harper, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we had, uh, Harper had told Martin earlier that. Miles. I I, I did Marty. I did Martin. Now I got, okay, Miles. (laughs) Anyways, <laughs> I'm glad you're on top of it. This is, is knockoff Zachary Quinto all over again. I was uh, going to say, we don't have a knockoff version of this guy, do we? <laughs> uh, yeah, Harper said, I'm going to lock up. I'm going to just run to my apartment real quick. I'll lock up later. And Jack says, he opens the door as she's fumbling for her keys. Like, it's unlocked. You said you were going to lock it later. And she rolls her eyes and she's like, yeah, I'm sorry. Apparently my dead boyfriend is trying to kill me i forgot she was so snarky in that moment i loved it it was wonderful yeah i just have written down here snarky harper (laughs) and so they push into the library and they yeah yeah they go bunker down behind a desk and meanwhile sam and charlie are trying to look for where this victim has been taken and they see this door that charlie swears she checked before it was locked earlier but now it's covered in goo and they do a quick rundown okay how do we kill muskas okay brass nail with sugar water great we got none of those things we'll have to get creative (laughs) let's improvise and they push into this uh this smelly fortress of solitude yeah 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 it's this warehousey looking industrial building they go down some stairs there are flies everywhere and why are there fly traps i wonder because i mean muska okay you're a fly hybrid and i'm assuming that maybe you got some kinship with flies but at the same time you laid out a whole bunch of traps like okay guys like you guys aren't paying rent there's too many of y'all so you gotta leave (laughs) fly traps everywhere but also there's um pine air fresheners everywhere so maybe it's the fly side uh fighting with the human side of this hybrid creature that you know he is self-conscious about his filth and his smell yeah he'd be aware that i guess if the smell or the degree of flies that are in here got out then the cat's out of the bag but i'm still like question mark question mark the one thing i loved about this scene was uh so we go into this room and i'm sure that they did not actually throw jared and felicia into a room that was full of flies but Fuck no <laughs> we know from the first episode when they filmed bugs that it was really difficult to try and pick up like bees on screen so i'm telling you right away i'm quite certain that 99 percent of what was going on in here was cgi flies oh for sure but i I did love uh, both Sam and Charlie in this scene as they're actually trying to case this building that they just entered. We have Prissy Princess Sam like freaking out (laughs) over the bugs. It's like, oh, I have a bug in my hair. He's swatting. He's like, he can't hold his gun straight because he's too busy waving it in front of his face because he's got flies. And I'm like, relatable content right here. A fly (laughs) fucking touches me. If I walk into a room and it's full of flies, I'm like walking right back up. (laughs) but we have consummate 
versus consummate professional uh, Charlie, who is totally focused. No. Yeah, she's she, got her game face on. She's getting this done. Yeah, yeah. N- no swatting at the nasties on this. Yeah. She's got her sights set on the prize. And there's this unintentional split up that they do where Charlie sees the nest up ahead and she's going to go look at it. Whereas Sam has been distracted offside and finds this suitcase that's full of air fresheners and he smells the rag and he's like, oh, yep, chloroform. That's how this musk has been capturing the victims. Yep. Charlie at the nest says that the victim is still alive. And when she's checking him out, she gets grabbed by the musket inside of this nest. And she struggles, she escapes, but she falls hard onto the ground from escaping. And she's knocked out by this. Oh, the poor stunt woman. I'm like, ow. Yeah, rough hit there. Yeah, yeah. Woof. And and Sam Sam takes a, a, a minute too long, I think, to be like, uh, 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 uh. Charlie, did something did something happen back there? But he gets with the program and he rushes over to see what's wrong. And uh, the uh, muska rises from the bodies and goes and attacks him. Uh huh. Uh huh. And Sam gets good during this fight. We see uh, the the creature outside of the uh, goth beekeeper outfit and and it is yeah, just that mask is off and it is attractive <laughs> we have fly man uh it's just a, a man with a with a fly's head i thought this whole scene okay two thoughts someone had way too much fun with the all saints day episode and <laughs> <laughs> we we just have that same great I'm not complaining I'm not complaining we have that same great humor and that same like what level of awareness well what what is that movie I cannot remember the movie but it's just like the creature of the black lagoon uh, fly is 1970s. it Jeff Goldblum when he d- devolves into the fly like the literal movie the fly yeah, no, I think there is a there's a movie that is, you know, someone uh splices his body with a fly and he's like this horrible half fly monster. It looked exactly like that. It's if you Jeff know what I'm in the fly. Yeah, you okay. You got it. A brilliant but eccentric scientist begins to transform into a giant man-fly hybrid after one of his experiments <laughs> go horribly wrong. Someone's Googling. I'm like, it's Jeff Goldblum, bitch. <laughs> I, I should know, know this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that's what I'm saying. It's the same, like, Halloween David Yeager. Uh, yeah. We are mining Michael the Myers. 80s and we are reveling in its monsters. <laughs> Actually, actually, another very strong vibe that I got from this monster of the week was uh, Doctor Who. Yeah, I don't actually watch Doctor Who, but I got a Doctor Who kind of monster vibe from uh, both this fly man and his community that we actually don't see until later, but it's fine. Yeah, I don't have that reference, so I'm going to take your word for granted. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'll get an, a Tumblr ass that will school me on <laughs> both Jeff Goldblum, the Flyman, and Doctor Who, mo- Doctor Who's own monsters of the week. Yeah, if there's something similar in other media, then by all means, let us know because we're grasping here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, 
Sam gets gooed. Charlie wakes up and stabs the muska, and then Sam shoots it dead. Charlie gets gooed. And Charlie gets gooed, and it's all a gross scene here, lads. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. Yeah, okay. yeah. So, so apparently we didn't need uh specifically a brass nail uh, dipped in uh, sugar water to kill this creature. We improvised, which is a, a very you know it's a callback ex- to one episode previous when Dean did the same thing. I just think it's so funny. It's just like you said, this awareness of the show and uh, and you know. Yeah, you might have to stab it through the heart with a blade dipped in lamb's blood, but blow out its kneecap, it's gonna, it's, you can't walk. Yeah, guns still hurt. Guns still hurt. It really made me think of in season two of Buffy, where there is the judge that is being resurrected and pieced together, and it's like no known weapon to man can destroy this thing. And they're reading the lore and it's like oh well we're hoop but Buffy with a bazooka it's like turns out that technology has updated since these books were last written and guns are effective who knew that's really so funny it's this, the same idea with the musket here like there's no one has ever met one of these things in person but it's very difficult to find a thing that a gun won't kill <laughs> I love it yes yes it's wonderful Ooh, so we got we got two the musk was down. The, we saved bench bus guy and bus bench guy. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, it's a, it was a gross save the day, but we have saved the day. Charlie is not thrilled with the goo in her hair. I would not no. be either. Sam's not thrilled with the goo in his hair. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But we're back to Harper and Jack in the library. And like you said, bunkered down behind a desk. It's dark. It's creepy. And we have a zombie roaming the streets. Yes. So Harper, Jack, hiding behind desk. Zombie? Question mark. Vance outside. (laughs) Vance is doing his patrols. And Harper is asking Jack, like, "Are, are you sure you locked the door? And he's like, yeah, I'm pretty sure. And she's like, what about the thingy under the door? And <laughs> hey, I have messed with those locks before. That she, she ain't playing. Did you flip the switch under the lock? And he and Jack is just like, what switch? Oh, they're they're just riddles. They're mystery enigma things. <laughs> I don't blame him for not getting it, but the fact that Harper gets up to quote unquote fix it, uh-huh. he was definitely like, come back. Yeah, yeah. He tried again. We have White Knight Jack. You know, he says no, no, because Harper says, "It's not safe." Yeah, no, it's not safe. But Harper goes to the door and uh, she's caught out. Yes, as opposed to firmly locking the door, she actually opens it, and Jack slowly stands up and is like, "What are you doing?" And Vance comes in, and Harper gives him a big kiss. I felt really bad about it because it was like betrayal. Yeah. And it is such a great twist too. I'm like, good job, Yaki, for giving us this because up to this point, you really were rooting. You thought Harper as the heroine. Uh You know, we are following the storybook script up to this point. And then lo and behold, our heroine isn't a heroine at all. And she's just like, what? He's my boyfriend. Yeah, and uh, talk about a good twist. We were not expecting that. No, 
They really led us to believe that Harper was this small town girl who lost her first love and is just a tragic backstory abound. You know, she just has bad luck and all the boys around her seem to die. Yeah, yeah. But no. And then we flip the script. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Harper is, well, we don't, well, we're going to get Harper's little backstory. But yeah, she is obviously in cahoots with the Archie character. Now I can't think of him as anything but. but. <laughs> yeah, our, our letter man toting zombie, Vance. He he just gets a little jealous. And Jack is like, but he's been stalking you. And she's like, no, no, no. He's been stalking you. Uh-huh. You know, because he has to eat stupid magic. And this actress, she's playing a villain of the week, but she is killing it. She's throwing her all into it. She's selling it so well. I, I adore her, too. And I love that. I mean, spoilers, she lives at the end of this episode and there's the potential to see her maybe next season. Yeah. And if not, she can live on in fan fiction. I I love her so much. And also, I love that we're kind of not killing every monster of the week. You know, we had the same thing with our, I'm sorry, not not killing every monster of the week, but we are not killing everyone always. <laughs> so yeah, I'm equating Yeah, storyline doesn't necessarily wrap up tidily within the episode. I mean, they're wrapped up, but not by the use of death as the mechanism to stop that story. Yeah, I'm equating this to how I felt about the end of uh, the All Saints Day episode where we have Sam and Dirk, Samantha and Dirk. Uh, and I'm like, I want them because I like them. And even though we had this, and, and even last week, we Sasha, we loved that character as a character of the week. And I'm just like, bring them back. Yeah. And I'm like, here I've- for it. When you're mentioning that, I immediately thrown back to season 13, I think it was episode three, where there was Mia Farrow. She was the shifter who was doing therapy for her patients, and she lived to see the day. So there's, I wouldn't know to say whether or not it is new, but it is refreshing to see. It is new, though, which is like the sad thing, but also the really great thing. Villains, good guys, our side characters, they get to live and they know about, more about this world now, too. And yeah, Harper's just essentially saying, yeah, everything works out for me and Vance. It's just, uh, it doesn't work out for you. Yeah, she says, she, again, like looking at, looking at life as a fairy tale or a story, it, she just says, it's first love. What are you going to do? First love is eternal. Jack is running through the stacks in this library trying to hide from Vance. And meanwhile, Harper's gone on to the intercom to, <laughs> to just keep on talking to him. Uh-huh. Being like, you know, she really likes Jack, but he's a hunter, obviously. And she's from a long line of necromancers. And she can only mostly raise the dead. But this is first love. It has no baggage. It's the it's the most perfect love that you could have. And Vance, she says, is perfect. And... That she's happy Miles died. She's just sad that she couldn't watch it. I'm like, oh, this is such a good villain beat. I know. Yes, yes, yes. I, I you know, we have the villain monologuing, but it's it's good. It's so in tune with her character as we know it because when before she was the storybook romantic damsel yeah romantic damsel exactly here she is the storybook villain and it's so good 
good. She is just living her best life, and I love her. <laughs> yeah, she's just unapologetically herself, and that herself seems to be someone who was willing to kill her boyfriend because he wanted to move. And she wasn't going to, so too bad, so sad, we're staying together. Because uh. our first love is just uncomplicated, right? This yeah. is just how we keep it uncomplicated. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and I love. I also like the library hide-and-seek, right? Because as Harper is telling her story here, um, we are cutting back and forth to from Harper to Jack and Archie fuck Vance <laughs> in the stacks and 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 it's so Scooby-Doo I love it so much because it's just yes. like every time we cut to uh Vance and I was gonna call him Archie again you know I was and Jack <laughs> Uh, he's Jack is hiding under a table or just like peeking around a stack in the same moment that Vance rounds the corner. And it's like yes. I said, very Scooby-Doo. It was good. Yes. And Harper, when she finishes her monologue, she just leaves Vance to it. She pulls up one of her romance <laughs> novels and she starts reading and poor Jack is hiding behind this, um, this pillar within the library or one at the end of the stacks and this hand reaches out and grabs his mouth and he's startled, but he doesn't scream because it's Dean. Dean has showed up. And yep. again, I love the energy that Dean is giving off in this moment. Like he just is going into this very teacherly mode where he's like the way that you got to get these guys, you got to get them back to the grave. You got to put a silver stake through their heart. Like he's just is very quiet, I... but he's giving Jack the information he needs. Yeah. Yeah. And I liked Dean's energy also in that he's always kind of like, we got this. This is fun. This is fine. Yeah. He As he, the viewer, we're feeling more on Jack's side, which is this is all new and surprising and overwhelming. And yet we have Dean here to be the reassurance, the the mentor to Jack. And no, 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 we, we got a handle on this. We just need to figure out what we're doing. And he's falling into it so well too yes i i don't even think that he knows that he's doing it but he is just going into this mentor mode uh so g good i don't know it's i don't know i don't have the words for it but i want to say that it calls me to john a little bit and i am not going into john i'm not i promise but you got 20 seconds it calls me to john a little bit where uh you know john was a drill sergeant but think about when sam came up into hunting behind dean coming up into hunting and maybe you know john is john who is the uh, who wouldn't i can't see him taking the time to stop and explain but think about dean with his little brother sam when Sam was old enough to hunt, I absolutely, especially with John as a third, I absolutely see Dean being Sam's support. And I think he's falling back into that role. Yeah, I really think that it's an instinctive thing for Dean right here, because he would have done his best to protect Sam from this world. But when it came time for Sam to know about it, then Dean was the one to try and soften the truth and make it like, make it a game, metabolize it, make it something that was palatable, something that was soft, something that didn't hit him so sharply as it would have Dean that to the point that Dean was rocked out of his world. 
Because like you said, we are, because, well, like I said, uh, Dean alone with John, John would not have been offering that support. So let's see Dean turning around when Sam was coming up and actually kind of uh, retrospectively looking back on how Dean learned and saying, well, this is how I wish it was, I would have learned. There's two ways he could have approached. It's that, well, I went through this, so you have to go through it too. And there's the, I went through this and I don't want you to have to also. Oh. And that's where Dean is falling on that side. Oh. Yeah. Like, we're not talking John. Wait, but I was also going to say, um, but like what you said, where we are viewing this episode through primarily through Jack's perspective, this is all overwhelming, but Dean is, is he's the steady hand. He is the steady hand. Yes. Yeah. And we don't often get to see Dean as the mentor and I just really relished in seeing it here. And it was, uh, it was almost a game. I don't know. I don't know. I don't yeah, think it was like, that flippant, but it was, uh, it, again, just the tone of the episode is very comedic, so we can kind of view the hunt as light. Come- yeah, light. Yeah. But, uh... And Dean has the plan. He knows that it's silver through the heart at the grave. And Jack's like, well, why do you have your shotgun? Oh, this is for something else. <laughs> And then here we see Jack and Dean fall back into this role-playing thing that they had earlier, where Jack is now saying that maybe it was love at first sight, you know? <laughs> and I'm not afraid. We could be, like, we could have a real life together. And he's evoking the image of, like, marriage and children, all of these things that Harper would adore. Yeah. Like, I would stay, I would never try and leave. And Vance just shows up as, like, the jealous boyfriend role now. Right, as he was right. mentioned before and but nope she's mine and fucking tackles truly Jack because screen. yeah sorry to interrupt <laughs> but uh yeah because jack is playing this as playing against everything that archie it's not fucking archie Dance. <laughs> Dance. <laughs> Everything that Vance might fear that, you know, I can give you all the things that Vance can't. I could give you the picturesque wedding. I'm alive and he's dead. And yeah, don't we could you... walk down the street together. Like, yeah, I we can have children in a family and walk down the aisle together. <laughs> and it's such a good it's just a performance. But Archie falls for it. Bait, line and sinker. Yep, yep. Goodbye. And then it's Dean who steps out once Jack has taken the fall. And Vance starts coming after him. And Dean's on his back foot. He's backing up as he's talking. But he's running through how this isn't love. Not anymore. And it's just evolved into this sick game between Harper and Vance. And do you really enjoy it anymore? Like, he's really calling out, you know, this has probably gotten old hat for at least Harper. But Vance maybe doesn't have as advanced needs in this relationship. (laughs) So Jack's play against Vance failed, and now Dean make Dean is making his own play. Well, I wouldn't even say failed, but Vance 
came after Jack. So Vance revealed where his positioning was. And Jack would have been going down the main aisle where they have the most space. And now Dean can come out from the woodworks and grab Vance's attention and start luring him back to the location where they're trying to drag him. Because as Dean's saying these things, he's going back to this area of architecture where there's some piping. And when Vance is up close on Dean, Jack comes around and gets a silver handcuff around one arm. Dean grabs the other and then they have Vance essentially pinned in the archway of this hall in the library. Uh, and Harper, who is standing right in front of them, is one part, no fair, and one yeah. part, uh, no, Vance, my love. Yeah, she's playing the script, but she doesn't see them doing it, and she's irritated by it. Like, uh-huh. Yeah, but she vamooses, and Dean does a good old, son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah, 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 because we, we finally lock down Vance, and, and Dean says, now the girl except she's we could practically if this was a cartoon we would see that library door like swaying on its hinges yeah it would just be (laughs) yeah yeah she's gone yeah so that is the denouement for Vance, at least in this moment. <laughs> we return to Charlie and Sam, and they're driving this time. Then truck. The case is over. The victim is at the hospital, and he has a headache, but he'll be all right. It's better than being killed. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 we and, and you know when typically we end the episode on the Sam Dean Impala bromant, we instead get a Sam Charlie bromant. Wake up call. Not even a bromant, just a wake up call. <laughs> it's, well, uh, so I started when, you know, Sam being Sam just can't keep it in. He can't, he, he has to push. And he thinks he's being subtle. Like, he's doing don't. this veiled conversation. Oh, you know, I feel bad for the muska. He didn't have to be alone. And Charlie's like, your fucking metaphor sucks. <laughs> so she calls him out on his... Yeah. She's like, I'm not alone. I found love. I lost it. And it just fucking sucks. Like, this is the scene where I started thinking about the parallels we are invited to think about when it comes to Dean and Jack's storyline versus Sam and Charlie's storyline. Because... Harper and her whole ploy is about following a script. You know, these are the books that she reads. These are the lives that she idealizes. And so she would just love it if life followed the plot, denouement, the climax, all of these elements. And then we almost see a narrative twist with her that she's actually the villain. So it her, that side of the storyline is definitely playing with literary elements and just kind of relishing in subverting them too. And now when we go back to Sam and Charlie, Sam is trying to follow that same sort of idea that there is this theme Second that you chance. can pull. Yeah, there's these elements to your life that they transcend the day to day. And Charlie keeps on trying to go, no, like life is not a story. Bad shit happens. And these themes that you're trying to pull out from it aren't there because there's just different perspectives that you can bring to it. And you might be trying to write one story with my tale, but I'm telling you that I'm doing a completely different story for my end. These themes being twofold, one in that, um, 
you can't say I was selling Charlie. You can't just go off on a mountain and live as a hermit with Wi-Fi, <laughs> uh, because people need people, and it, you're just not going to be happy there. You need family, and like people can be bad, but that is when they're desperate. And if we can help people avoid getting to that point, then they can help pay that forward. Like us doing this work, living this life, we are helping to protect the good things that we're so scared of losing. Yeah, that's too, uh, uh, where where you can't just uh, walk away from this life because you would be uh, step by step subverting that narrative uh, humanity does not devolve into chaos if they have the tools to protect themselves yeah the the elements of society can shore up against that vision that you have of it yeah yeah and you can uh do a little bit of good with every step and hunt and person that you save and I think that it is Sam finally bringing it to this level that is outside of Charlie and outside of his experiences with Charlie, where Sam is just talking about hunting, that now Charlie is able to kind of, okay, here's some neutral ground that we could go to. It's no longer me feeling constantly this shadow of your Charlie upon me. Now you are talking about some things that I can see and I can find some agreement in and So Charlie just ends on kind of seeding some ground, saying that she will think about staying. Yeah, yeah, which is a huge victory for Sam. You see it in his face. Yeah, he's just very glad at the prospect of, you know, Charlie's not going to be gone from my life for good. This is not the end. Yeah. Yeah. And from this scene, we get a song starting playing up about talking about going down (laughs) two different roads. And there's this 50s diner that Harper is sitting in and she's writing a letter to Jack. And just like, (laughs) sorry, I'm going to have to kill you, but it'll be perfect, I swear. And you know what? You're the first guy that ever got me to actually leave McCook. So like, this is true love. Yeah, yeah. She is not. She is, like you said, a, a woman who is in love with the idea of love and she is she is living her story and i yep. am here for it i love it yeah she's literally going after her story she's thinking what would be next for me if this was a storybook like the handwritten note i like it <laughs> yeah and it is addressed to just like jack smith in lebanon uh-huh and it's a small enough town i mean if the if sam and dean have a post office box set up and we kind of know they do from episode 13 this season that uh-huh. they're set up as the campbells there so you never know that letter might actually get to him <laughs> and you were talking about harper's uh old-fashioned views on romance and just life in general um she's at cafe 50s yep she's seeking out these old traditional elements checkered floors and she grew up in this idyllic town she lived this idyllic life prom queen and it was only when um something didn't go according to her plan her high school sweetheart didn't want to stick around and she just wasn't good enough that she had to course correct she had to take action to course correct her story she kind of broke the script and brought him back yeah yeah 
So finally, <laughs> Dick Red Rooster Diner. <laughs> oh, is this when we get to hear about Dean and the Glasscocks? Let's see. I it. mean, we can talk about it, yeah. But like, essentially, <laughs> the, what I was thinking about is we have the two diners that are here, and the first one was Winston's favorite place. And when we were at the Red Rooster Diner, we were getting a lot of conversation where Jack is. Um, getting his eyes open to more of the intricacies that come with sex and relationships and things like that. Like it's this very um, brass tacks sort of view <laughs> that it's coming in. Like even Wanda, Wanda is coming in being like, not all the time you got to do courtship. Like sometimes you just skip straight to the banging and Dean pushing aside <laughs> the glass cock. Woof. Okay. But, so here are these two diners. Like here was Winston's favorite place where we got all of this sort of, I would just, I don't think it, but like this vulgar view on courtship and dating where it just comes out more of the, well, not everything goes out according to script. And then we end with Harper in what we could perceive as being her sort of place that she wants to be and it is just these old school romance like malt shop sharing milkshake uh-huh. sort of feels that she is appealing to I love it <laughs> so yeah I, as much fun as I sit here like just going Dick's Red Rooster Diner like it, <laughs> it, those are the things that I'm picking up from it is just here is sort of the red blooded um, there ain't no special story behind it fam sort of take on love and romance and then we see Harper at her diner rose scented glasses exactly yeah yeah I love it. Okay, this, I, I swear, once an episode, there's always this one thing that you pick out of the story <laughs> that I'm just like, hearts in my eyes. I want to get down on one knee. Will you be my supernatural wife? I swear to God. I guess you already are. Yeah, yeah. We're already like pretty tightly in this together. <laughs> I'm so excited for season 15, by the way. I know. Like, our episodes are going to change. Like, it's no longer going to be us. Like, okay, let's do analysis. It's going to be like, blah, blah, blah. here's like word vomit. Let's just go crazy. Like, it's going to be, it's so, gonna be good. so good. <laughs> oh, I'm excited. Yeah, yeah. I know. And I mean, like, this is, this is, this right here, this moment right here that, uh, I mean, this moment of, of camaraderie between yeah. us, right? And this is exactly what I was feeling at the top of this episode where I was like, we, every single episode so far in this season has been so good. Yeah. And it's just so much fun to sit down and be like, did you see that? Did you yeah. see that? Yeah. I know. Right. What the fuck is the show? Okay, and did you catch the way we transitioned from Harper into Jack? Yeah. That Harper's sipping from her cup, and then Jack is putting down his coffee cup. And- uh, and he says, so I had a question about courting. And Dean pours a whiskey. He's like, all right, let's go. Yeah, yeah. Um, Jack is letting us know that that um, plot line with Vance is wrapped up. Now they have him staked in his grave, and that's just how you deal with it. Uh-huh. He's like, yep, let's snap that cap off the whiskey. Let's go. And Jack, he does the cute little, and that's love. Oh, my God. And Dean right here. And he just, I'm like, Dean's face journey. Oh, he my just, God. It can get crazier than that. Yeah, so, yeah. And he's almost, like, this happy nostalgia about it. Just Well, uh, yeah, Jack asks, 
so that's love and dean just uh, you can see him reminiscing or really considering what is love his face journey <sighs> and he says uh, yeah lo- sometimes love can get crazier than that it's almost like this like parent it's just yeah. quintessential parent sitting down for the talk like oh they're growing up so fast like just that sort of smile that sort of yeah glow it's that like comes at the thought it's the glow of uh, it's the glow of i've experienced like oh the good old days this, these are things that i experience and 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 oh they grow up so fast check them on the chin like oh i, I was boy. just yeah i was like what is dean envisioning at this moment because i remember on the dean cast side of the fandom being like yeah there's been 10 years of crazy romance going <laughs> on there well we know dean's entire romantic history right Mm-hmm. We know about his loves. We know about Cassie and Lisa and question mark, question mark, question mark. Um, we know, yeah, the background little bits where there's Rhonda. There's been like the twins. I don't remember the name, but. No, they weren't given names. <laughs> yeah. Oh, actually, no, you're right. They were given names. Just a um, last name. <laughs> well, but, but, uh, but love you know, think about what Dean said earlier in the episode. Like that ain't how love works. Dean, who has made hundreds of these superficial love connections, you know, yes. sometimes we just sometimes you just go straight to the sex. Uh, sometimes you're just following a script so you can achieve an end, and then sometimes you're going off script, and that's when you get into these wild territories. But what is love and what are Dean's experiences with true love? And for him to say, sometimes it gets crazier than that. It's like, I know that you're not talking about Lisa, maybe. (laughs) The suburbs, how wild did they get? Yeah, well. (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Dean's face journey. He starts off looking so wistful and then he becomes a bit more serious when he thinks like, oh, no, Harper's still out there. But, but Jack, you did good today. Like, don't think about that. <laughs> hey, uh, Jack seems unconcerned. I don't think that he actually wrote off Harper in his mind as... It's just like, I think he still is kind of like, she seemed nice. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I it love just, it. It hasn't really clicked because, again, all he really has is the romantic movies, the way that she has romantic novels. And so, you know, if we follow the script, then this is, like, kind of okay. We got rid of the bad guy part of it. and I mean, who's <laughs> she going to resurrect? Miles? We know that's not going to happen. <laughs> uh, oh, my gosh. I want Harper back so much in season I would 15. love it. That actress was phenomenal. The character is wonderful. Just thinking long line of necromancers and this is what she decides to do. Like she just wants to stay in her small town, read a bunch of books and mac on her dead boyfriend. Like I love her. I love her. Jeff's kiss. (laughs) And Jack's little moment here. And I was right. And Dean just like, it's not about being right. (laughs) It's about how you handle your mistakes and how you learn from them. Yeah. And Jack, again, just being not, he's so earnest, you can't say he's being snarky or cheeky or anything, but he's just, and, you know, not beating yourself up over your mistakes. And Dean's like, you know, you're pretty smart sometimes. (laughs) Like, damn, this kid got me. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Dean is, again, in that mentoring role where he is uh, saying, you know, uh, make your mistakes, but learn from them. And Jack, with a little twinkle in his eye, says, and you don't beat yourself up over them. And (laughs) it's just the you got me there meme. (laughs) Like, <laughs> yeah damn damn you're right <laughs> and dean assures that he's gonna go talk to sam about getting jack on more of these hunts you know like uh, makes me think of when dean mentioned earlier that Cass was an insurance policy on those hunts that jack was on that dean had enough assurance that jack would be fine because Cass was there but he maybe didn't take Cass's perception of how Jack was doing at face exactly. value because Cass would be an optimist about what is going on with Jack and Cass has a buttload of faith in Jack's abilities but Dean hasn't seen it in action and now that he has and he can put his own judgment to place he's like you know what Cass exactly. was right on this and I am about this too like we're gonna talk to Sam now we'll get him on board as well and and we talk about this being you know this episode being uh, the f- one of the first times where Jack is really worming his way into the cracks of Dean's walls, you know, mm-hmm. he has he has Jack has thoroughly endeared himself to Dean. Yeah, he really proved himself on this case. And I think that Dean, as much as we like to poke fun that he did not like the old man comment, I think that (laughs) Jack having the gumption to like really throw himself into these roles and really sell them, like, I think there was a level of appreciation there from Dean, just being able to see how Jack was capable of doing all of these little role play moments that are needed on the job. My heart soars for this relationship. I love it. Oh, I know. Uh, and we're getting right near the end here. Jack is coughing and he's playing it off as just saying, oh, you know, it's yeah. all part of being human, shucks. And then he <laughs>, coughs harder and there's blood. Yeah. Yeah. And there's nose bleeding. And again, Jensen's acting just phenomenal where he's just non-verbally showing his concern and non-verbally his concern turning to alarm. Yeah, he just pivots on that emotion. Ugh. It's so... It's like, are you okay, kid? I don't know. Womp. Like, lays out on the ground. Yeah. We, we end on Jack unconscious in the kitchen bleeding from his nose and mouth and dean just does not know what to do dean's kneeling beside him calling his name oh baby i know baby can't have it all fun and jokes and necromancy we gotta have some sad moments cropping in here too yeah who's who's going first who gets to steal the others you go first because i've stolen at least a couple of them here so what was your final takeaway uh my final my final takeaway um my final takeaway was charlie this episode oh shot through the heart uh because because you know on first watch it was just crippling yeah it just I, i remember how hard it hit you it did. And all the Charlie feels welling up. And the second watch, I actually, I got to take that to an even deeper level of, I got to examine Sam's feelings towards 
his Charlie versus uh, this alt Charlie and maybe why Sam is so desperately trying to find his Charlie in this alt Charlie. Yeah, the note that he ended on with his Charlie and how that note carries through with the new one in his life. Oh my gosh, yes. And even on second watch, it was just, I thought that they handled it so well where it still hurts to, you want to put yourself in Sam's shoes. You want to desperately search for our Charlie in this alt, um, but to be respectful to the character, to not cheapen the Winchester-Charlie relationships, you do have to explicitly uh, acknowledge the fact that this is not our Charlie. Yeah. You have to do what Charlie is doing and draw these firm boundaries around your expectations versus what is actually there. And I love that this Charlie did that. I Yes. We cannot slot her in as a replacement. So so that that was the worry, you know, for a lot of us with these alt versions. Yeah. Um and I like that the that certain writers are treating that, I guess, with the respect it deserves. Yeah, they understand that there was a lot of pain associated with Charlie's death, and they're not going to just gloss over that. And I love, but uh, apart from all of that, I love Felicia Day in this episode. <laughs> I I love to see Charlie in any way, shape, or form. Uh, she killed it. She gave us her, you know, we got we got really a proper introduction to this alt Charlie character and I am here yes, for it. We got to spend some time with her and her story is wonderful and we can see the same flavors of the one we know, but this one is brand new and it's all the better for it. Yes. Yes. What's your final takeaway? Um, I think I got to go with Harper, like the whole <laughs> literary element that was going on in the story, the playing to your script versus subverting expectations. Like her name is even Harper Sales. Like we're going to like Harper Collins books, you know, like her whole thing is just being emerged in this literary world. And I really enjoy her as a villain, as being someone who wasn't in pursuit of these big dreams or influencing the area around her. She just wanted her boyfriend. She wanted her boyfriend's snacks and she wanted her books. <laughs> like, Well, that's what I loved about I her. I don't know. It was just a great, it was a great villain. It was a great character. The actress sold it. I should really have her name here to give her props. I'll just awkwardly edit it in later. <laughs> yes we will yeah yeah i uh, i loved the actress a lot a lot a lot and i loved harper's whole even kind of like origin story we weren't told explicitly but we, she was living her story right she was the popular girl in school she was the prom queen she was had the high school sweetheart and it was only once the plot deviated from what she expected when her you know true first love true love does not conquer all that her boyfriend did want something grander than this small town whether or not harper would be a part of that uh that harper said no i've i am the five-year-old girl who with 
in the princess dress who has uh, my entire life planned out for me. I know what I want. Well, who has not planned out for me, but who has uh, this gumdrop fairy tale vision of what I want my life to be. And by golly, that's how it's going to be. Yeah. I'm going to fight for that tooth and nail because no one gets to decide what's on my script except me. The actress was phenomenal. Yes. Maddie Phillips was her name. Maddie Phillips. Yes. And she's actually in a season 10 episode as well. Bring her back. Yes. Harper, come back. Keep writing letters. I would love to see Jack just has an awkward stack at the post office. I would love to see Jack just has an awkward stack on his bedside table. Oh my gosh. In season... Like, I want all the callbacks in season 15. You know we're going to get them, but I don't just want the season three, let's bring back Ash callbacks. I want all the callbacks. Yes. It's not all just about the nostalgia, although that is going to be a great flavor for the next season. It is also about the stepping stones they've built along the way and like what intrigue they've been able to carry on throughout the years. Such a good episode. Like, if you can't tell, it's been a delight. We so hope you guys are watching this with us because we can only capture a fraction of the delight in every single one of these episodes. It's so good. Yeah, we're we're already going through them in like quite a granular fashion, but we could go all the deeper. Like we could go subatomic on this. (laughs) It's there's so many good elements that are at play here. Yeah. Yeah, and that was Season 14, Episode 6. Optimism. Optimism. And I didn't even think about the title tied in Mm -hmm. with the themes of the episode, and I love it. Yes. And next week, we will cover Episode 7, Unhuman Nature. So, yeah, we hope you had fun. Uh, guys listeners dear listeners we love you so much we had a blast and uh if you liked our content then subscribe on itunes or google play or stitcher uh or spotify wherever wherever come come join us rate us if you feel like it um talk to us we we love talking very obviously yeah yeah uh, mention us on Twitter or send us an ask on Tumblr uh, or leave us a comment on whatever podcast platform you desire. We see everyone and we uh, cherish everyone and we appreciate you and we will see you next week. All right. So bye, guys. Uh, bye, guys. See you next bye. week. Bye. We are so bad at outros.